I feel like I have a message from the Lord and I feel like that the Lord is going to direct us in a way that's going to bring about the consummation of his Holy Spirit and that we're going to have a move of God like we've never had a move of God before in our lives. I feel that, I sense that, and I know that in my spirit if we'll obey him today. What we have before us in our two different texts is what we call an oxymoron. One minute we have the scripture that demands us to be holy. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. And a matter of fact, we know that the Bible makes it clear that holiness is to be God's standard of living for his people. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without no man shall see the Lord. The Bible tells us without holiness, no man's gonna see God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5 and 6, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 is 26, that God's coming after a church without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing, but that is to be holy and without blame. So we have the command to be holy, but we also have Jesus himself saying, don't call me good, there's none good but one, and that's my Father, that's God in heaven. And one minute it seems that he demands holiness, but then it seems that he also tells us that none of us is actually to obtain that, or that's how the modern day culture thinks. It appears that we have a contradiction before, before our two texts. And let me tell you, we, as we get into our text, I hope we come to understand exactly how to rightly divide the scripture when it comes to this issue. For us to understand this issue, I think we have to go back and we have to examine the early church and how it was formed. If we see that there are four streams of biblical church life recorded in the word of the Lord. First of all, some of you are gonna say, well, why are you preaching this? It won't even make sense until the end of the sermon. But the first life stream was that that it was Jewish. The stream is the this stream is the oldest. It is made up of completely Jews who embrace Christ as Messiah. They are known as Messianic Jews. And this is what made up the first church in the book of Acts. It was Messianic church where Jesus was Lord and Messiah and he was God. The second stream was that the church was also evangelical. It was missional from its very origin, from its very beginning. It was centered on core theology. It was driven by past theology and it was forged forward in evangelism and mission, sharing the elements of what we call basic theology. It mainly shared the cross message and Jesus Christ as Lord. Basic theology is the core of the gospel message of Jesus Christ as him being Lord. That's why the apostle Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The church understood that it had a kingdom mission. The church must be missional, which means its members must embrace four things. First of all, we must embrace, number one, the great commitment of prayer. Jesus called his house the house of prayer. And yet in the United States, in the Western culture, when we come into our service, prayer is the least thing that we do. And yet Jesus said his house shall be called the house of prayer. I wonder how many would show up on Sunday morning if I said the next four Sunday mornings, we're gonna do nothing but pray for an hour. Would we still be running the attendance that we have today? Matter of fact, we could give hundreds and hundreds of scriptures concerning the discipline of prayer, the importance of the prayer, the commands of prayer in the scripture 
Scripture. But I think the First Thessalonians 5, 17 sums it up when it says, pray without ceasing. As you go back and study the Jewish uh, customs and the Jewish history, you'll see where they had three different times that they prayed every single day. They had hours set aside at the synagogue where they come daily to pray. James 5, 16 says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We want things to happen, but we want it to happen in the modern day church without prayer. He also said in James 4 and 2, you have not because you ask not. Simply put, nothing's going to happen unless a congregation understands that they got to learn how to pray. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be given unto you. The second thing that we must embrace is the great commandment of love. I want you to understand the church is no greater or spiritual than its ability to love. Jesus said in John 13 and 34, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what a commandment is that? Jesus said that you got to love me the way Jesus loves me. I got to love you the way Jesus loves you. Well, let me tell you, that's a big task because Jesus' love is an unconditional love. It's an agape love. And I am commanded to love you the way he loves you, and you're commanded to love me the way he loves me. And if the church could learn that art, there wouldn't be any kind of division or squabbles in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love and care must be the heartbeat and the center of every church. Jesus summed it up when he said, all the commandments are hinged on this one thing, this one commandment. He said to love your neighbors as yourself. And you know what? There's one thing that I know about myself. I love myself. I cherish my body. I cherish, uh, I don't want it to hurt. And I, the way that we're to take care of ourselves and love ourselves is the way that we're to love our neighbors and to love one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 2, without love, you're nothing. And he goes on, you know the scripture, he says, if you give your bodies to be burned, if you understand all mysteries, if you understand all prophecies and you speak with the tongues of angels and would you do all this stuff, he says, if you don't have love, you're still nothing. Jesus even reminded us in John 13 and 35, this is how I know that you're my true disciples, the way that you have love one toward another. Now, the third thing that we have to observe in this thing as we get into the mission is the great commission. And this is where the spirit sometimes is killed in the church because people don't want to hear this kind of stuff. But the commission of the church, the mandate of every single church that there is, that is a part of the body of Christ, it has the commission of, it's got the command to fulfill the great commission. And that great commission was from Jesus himself when he said in the book of Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 through 20, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. Whether God's presence is contingent going to be manifested and, and with us, it's going to be contingent upon us fulfilling the Great Commission. It's about us being about his business, doing what he's doing. Can I have, God anoints his will. He don't anoint our stubbornness. Can I have an amen? You want to be anointed? Then get about the Great Commission. We are to go into the world and we, as a God people, are to preach the gospel. We are to go out in the highways, the byways, the streets, the alleys, the workplaces. Everywhere we go, we are to share our faith and convince them to come into Jesus Christ. We are to be persuasive. Every one of us are to be learn how to be effective in soul winning. Can I have an amen? The fourth thing that we are to observe is the great consummation 
which is the glory of God that we don't even talk about a lot of times. When a man and a woman get married, their marriage is what they call consummated. It's when they come together and it's when they become one. And if there's one thing that the church has lacked is that we've lacked the intimacy to consummate our relationship with God to where the glory of God can be seen upon us. Oh, God, I'm a son. Hang with me, folks. I'm building a sermon here today. God's speaking to this body right here, right now. And if there's one thing that we are told in the scripture that we are to express and manifest the glory of God, the glory of God upon this darkened world. We are to be the light of the world and we are to reflect what? The beauty of his holiness. That's what the Bible tells us. There are These are the four missional commandments of the kingdom of God. Let's just go over them one more time. The great commitment, say commitment, which is prayer. The great commandment, say commandment which is love. The great commission, say commission, which is sharing the gospel. And the great consummation, which is, say consummation, which is revealing the glory of God. These sum up the ministry that is to be in every church and it should be the forefront of every vision statement that every church in America should have. Not only was the church Jewish, not only was it missional, but it was also Pentecostal and charismatic in nature. It embraced the supernatural. It depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Unlike the modern day church in which we serve in the 21st century, the early church did not repress or censor the gifts of the Spirit. Matter of fact, it was the Apostle Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, to covet, to desire, to seek after earnestly with everything that's within you, the best of gifts. The very origin of the church was birthed by the Holy Spirit when Jesus says in John 20, 22, that he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then we know that he told them in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, to go to Jerusalem and wait there until they be endued with power from on high. They went to the upper room as he had commanded them. And the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost when they received the empowerment of the Holy Ghost baptism. So we in the 21st century, we need to be a Pentecostal church. Can I have an amen? But the church was not only Jewish and missional and Pentecostal, but it also adapted to what we call synagogue liturgy. What does that mean? It formed and organized places of public worship services and it added the Lord's communion to it. This unified their focus on Jesus Christ, which was the basic theology. Can I have an amen? It kept his message pure. When they not only gathered together, they took communion, which kept Jesus at the forefront of everything they done. Let me just stop right here and say the very thing that is the centerpiece of this church is Jesus Christ. Period. Nothing else. It also developed deep-seated relationships by bringing one together. It formed what we call continuity 
among the believers so that the church would be able to survive and remain unbroken, existing to operate within its mission. Now, I'm, I want to tell you, I want to give you a little frustration here. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I'm tired of hearing all about these internet churches. I want to tell you, it's all right. The internet can be a great enhancement, and we even have it ourselves. We have it to where we try to put it out there to people that have to work and can't be here, the people that are sick and can't be here, the shut-ins that are in nursing homes. That can be a great enhancement. But the broadcast, the broadcast, and the internet is not to replace the coming together, the konania. It's unscriptural. It's unbiblical, and it will not suffice. There is a difference from watching somebody on television than being in the very service where God is moving among the saints. And there's a difference about rubbing shoulders with one another and forming relationships and being accountable and being, uh, and being pushed into ministry. Can I have an amen? Now I've scratched that itch, I'll move on. So we see that the church was messianic, it was evangelical, it was Pentecostal, and it was organized. The church was not independent. This tells me that the 21st century church will find its success only in the glorious pattern of that of the early church. We gotta go back and revisit these things. Come on, somebody, help me preach right here. We must be messianic. Jesus must be Lord of the church. The Bible tells us in Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in the other, for there's no other name given under heaven among men to whereby people can be saved other than through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has to be more than just a savior to the palace of praise. Jesus has to become Lord of the church. He's not just a Santa Claus in the sky. He's not somebody just throws out good trinkets and good gifts to people. He's not somebody here to tinkle our fancy. He is the owner, the operator, the creator. He is the chief of all chiefs. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He is God. He is Jesus, the son of the living God. He's God. Amen. Before we can understand the mission of the church and what it's all about, we have to understand the lordship of the church. We have to understand who it is that we're serving. We don't serve a church, we serve a king who has a kingdom. And we have to become kingdom-minded instead of religious and church-minded. Come on, somebody. We must also be Pentecostal. We have to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of our own stinking flesh. Amen? We have to be spiritual. We must also be organized. We must be unified together. We cannot be independent of each other and only embrace or select what appeals to us and discard the rest of it. We have to have the same spirit that is in Christ Jesus, the same mind that's in Christ Jesus, and we have to be one heart, one soul, one mind, and one spirit. 
We have to be like-minded, unified together in our purpose, in our mission, in our mandate, which is the Great Commission. The church is shifting. We are shifting right here, right now. And we told you that when we get our building debt-free, we are even going to be doing more different areas of, we're going to go out more, we're going to be involved in community more, we're going to get involved in evangelism more. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you exactly what that's going to look like. Some of you ain't going to like my definition, but I don't care. I want to tell you, I know what the Spirit of the Lord has said to me. Come on, somebody. We have to be like-minded. We have to be unified together in our purpose, in our mission, in our mandate, which is the Great Commission. As believers, we cannot adapt to what is only relevant to us, but we must submit and obey the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of the church. Come on, somebody. There is a difference in a church seeking to be relevant and a church seeking to be spiritual. I do not have time to spend and tell you all that in the last 40 years that church attendance is plummeted. As a matter of fact, in the last 40 years, regular church attendance has fell 48%. God, think about it. The national statistics say 77% of the United States population is unchurched. Out of the 24% remaining, only 9.3% of them go on a regular basis and the other 13% are just occasional attenders. That means that, folks, we have, uh, we literally have 24% of the church, or 23 to 24% of the population of America going to church. We all want to crucify Obama when he was president, when he made this statement. America is no longer a Christian nation, and the nation went in shock when he said it. When he stated that, the church almost come unglued, me included. But the truth of the matter is, the national statistics proved him to be right. And the sad part of it is we as a church, we are guilty of burying our faces in the sand and we really don't want to face the truth when it comes to hurt us because it is a slap in our face to know that only 23 to 24% of the church, of the population of America are going to church. It means that the church is failing America. Can I have an amen? And the sad part of it is we as a church are guilty of not paying attention. Though, though these statements are bad, yet they're not as bad as what researcher George Barner found. He found that there's no difference in the values and the standards and the behaviors of so-called Christians over non-believers. He said the big part of the church attenders that still, and the church that still exists is an apostate church in general, and they don't even realize it. He said the line between the world and the Christian faith is almost completely eradicated and erased. He said you can't tell who's Christian and who isn't. What we need in America is a, a new national reformation, a Holy Ghost visitation to where we can have a divine awakening once again. That's our assignment. We will accomplish it and it shall be done in the name of Jesus in the region of Popper Bluff. It's gonna happen by the attenders of the Palace of Praise. If you believe that, stand to your feet and praise him. You believe it? How many's one revival? God help me right here. I'm about to preach. I'm setting up my sermon. As bad as all of this is, we may weep and cry over the anti-Christian shift that the current, the current culture has changed to in America, yet it may be God giving us the best gift that he's ever given us. What are you saying, Pastor? It may be only through complete meltdown and chaos of the nation and the culture that the church will return back to its total roots and have a dependence on God again. This is, what, this is what brought the early church awakening in the first place. 
The early church grew due to its persecution. In spite of all the scourgings, the imprisonments, uh, the beatings, the whippings, and even the killing of people being martyred for Christ, uh, the church grew and prospered, uh, and it was a mighty force to be reckoned with in the early church. The church was at its best when the climate was at its worst. Did you hear me? And when the church was on the run, when it was underground, when it was persecuted, it was at its highest point. The highest levels of growth happened during the most intense moments of suffering and persecution because it grew every single day. Souls were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And though there we're, we're seeing our, our economy fall, we're seeing darkness come upon our land, it's the greatest moment that the church has ever had in the history of the world. And I'm here to tell you things are about to turn around because the church is about to turn around. God's going to take us back to the four life streams of the church and he's going to purge us again and he's going to give us a divine awakening and we're going to rise up. We're going to see more souls saved in the next few years than we've ever seen in the history of the world. I believe that with all of my heart. Hallelujah. The church was forced to depend upon God in the early days. It was driven to prayer, which was the great commitment of the early church. The persecution caused the believers to grow and connect with each other. It actually unified the church instead of separated them. This is where it adapted synagogue liturgy, public places of worship because they knew they needed each other. They knew that the strong helped to, had to help bear the infirmities of the weak. And when the devil tried to scatter, divide, destroy the church, it made them come together that much the more and they became one. And by them coming together, it unified the mission of the church and its purpose. It took their eyes off the petty stuff and off the worldly entanglements and the worldly care, and it placed it upon the mission of the church. I want to tell you, folks, when your world falls apart like Israel's did overnight, I want to tell you, it'll get your priorities back to where they need to be. And that's exactly what's happening right here in America. God's shifting our culture, and our culture is getting darker and darker and darker and more demonic, and it's forcing us to go back and become dependent upon God, fall on our knees and get rid of all the worldly allurements and the worldly entertainments and, and the worldly stuff and it's causing us to turn back to the roots of holiness one more time so that we might see God once again spare America and heal our land. Can I have an amen? Somebody just lift your hand and praise the Lord for a moment while I get these doodads off of me. You're shouting with me right now, but I'm about to make some of you mad. Now listen to me. The early church wasn't a place of self-promotion. It wasn't a place of self-advancement, self-serving, but its roots was in kingdom mission. It was all about the mission of the kingdom of God. What's our, why are we here? Come on, somebody. The suffering caused it to turn back to the four life streams of the church. The church wasn't the end thing. The church wasn't the popular thing in town. It wasn't prestigious. It wasn't glorious. It wasn't glamorous. And let me tell you, it wasn't highly sought after by the people. But now considering the modern day church in which you and I live, though it's decreasing rapidly, yet we're not persecuted like the early church, Christianity has become legal, popular, and we can join and go to church without losing our prestigiousness of life. We're not worried about being killed or threatened or thrown in jail. And you would think that the church expansion would be exploding since there's no real great opposition or great persecution. But it's quite the contrary. 
the churches that are considered effective and successful. Notice I did not say spiritual. There are people that are very effective and very successful, but they're not spiritual. There's a difference. The churches that are considered effective and successful in the 21st century are churches that have become the happening place and the in crowd. And they, and, and they are all, and they all have something in common. They have given the culture exactly what they want. They have given them relevance. In other words, if you'll come, we'll give you what you like. We'll be a relevant church, but in the place of it, they become non-spiritual. I'm not here to tickle your fancy. I'm not here to give you anything you want. I'm here to say, this is the word of the Lord, hear it. Come on, somebody. I'm not here to patronize any certain group, and I'm not here to water down the sermon because if I preach a certain way, somebody may leave us. I'm gonna preach, the chips are gonna fall, and people are gonna do whatever they wanna do. I refuse to be a relevant church. I am demanding by a pastor leading this congregation, we are gonna be a spiritual church. And with that will come persecution. This is really where I want you to hear my heart. Pay attention. Don't get mad at me and listen to me all the way through. Because this is where the modern day church begin to strive. What caused them to become where they want relevance is that they begin to strive for excellence, which is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be excellent. But it began to put its emphasis on being polished, being on top of the game, being professional, and being flawless. Its mentality was have every eye dotted and every T crossed. And even though there's nothing wrong with wanting improvement and to be your best and to strive for excellence, yet the power of the church does not come from human ability of man or by their performance. Hang with me, pals. It doesn't depend upon human strength and upon the talents of men to survive. Instead of the modern church demanding holiness, it demands perfection. Instead of demanding maturity, it demands excellence. Not realizing it, but the modern church has created self-promotion. And the idea that one has to sell oneself in order to be successful, which goes against every biblical teaching that there is. There has, this is even embedded down into the church members where now instead of the calling and the anointing being the deciding factor for ministry, it has become who's the best performer? Who looks the best? Who dresses the best? Who plays the part better? And they become more qualified by their raw talent than they do their calling and the anointing that's placed upon their lives. Now there's competition for positions in the body of Christ. And instead of humility, there's a competing spirit where we're competing one against the other, which is causing strife, emulations, jealousy, and fightings throughout the body of Christ. God help me. There is self-promotion taking place because that's the only way that some people feel like that they can get their place in the church. 
And I don't blame the person, I blame the church that is given in by the seduction of our culture because we have set the system up that way to where people have to sell themselves in order to get noticed. Because the modern day church won't look at somebody that looks flawed because it cramps their style and it hurts their image. There's a place to belong in the modern day church as long as you're good enough. Hang with me. The modern day church has replaced humility and gentleness with a, the, with a theology of fame because it puts more emphasis on dominance, triumphalism, and excellence. And you know what that's caused the modern church to do? The modern church markets itself instead of being missional. Instead of going out and telling people about Jesus, it markets itself. It advertises itself. And it glamorizes itself. And it polishes itself. And it tries to make it presentable to where it appeals to a congregation. So their growth is by strategic marketing instead of by conversion growth, by the anointing and the power that the gospel brings. Oh, God, help me. It's trying to sell itself instead of winning souls to Jesus Christ. And then when you win souls to Jesus Christ, the church will grow automatically. But the difference is that when you market yourself, you get a marketing people with all kinds of different ideas and different theologies and different and different mindsets and they come in and you gotta cater to every single one of them in order to keep them because they'll leave you as fast as you go. But when you get someone that's saved and born again and regenerated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about offending them with the gospel. Now, am I saying it's wrong to advertise? No. Am I wrong that it's wrong to market yourself a little bit? No. It can be an enhancement, but what's happened is it's become the mainstream philosophy of the church. The focus of the modern day church is now it's on image instead of righteousness. You can look pretty and still not be righteous. Come on, somebody. It's no longer relational, but now it's professional. Serving and involving only the upper elite, you know, those that fit in, those that are like us. In other words, the church world of today is you got groups and churches, and if you're not like them and you don't meet the image of what they think you should, you don't belong in this group. Diversity's out. You know why they don't like diversity? Because they're not like them. And they got an image of self-righteousness that we're right and everybody else is wrong. I'm preaching better than you're letting on right now. But the truth of the matter is you can't grow a church without diversity. Sir, what you like, I may not like, but that's not what's important. What's important that we're one mind, one heart, one soul. I'll put up with what you like and you put up with what I like. And we're one together in the name of Jesus. Amen. The focus of the modern church is now on image instead of righteousness. Their focus is on perfection more than it is on people. Folks, we're in the people business. 
They're looking for the person that fits the, quote, job description. It's no longer a ministry, it's a job. They're looking for the person that fits the job description and that meets the qualification of its well-created design. Oh, yeah, we got standards. Yes, every church has got to have them. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the church's energy is now placed upon practices, procedures, and programs and upon the gifts of the talents of man and they have left the mainstream of the early church of prayer and now they practice their ministries more than they pray about them. What does that tell you? That they got more confidence in their ability to perform than they do to pray and let God perform through them. God help me. We cannot go there. Their focus is more on the performance than it is again on presence. They're more focused on moving people but they're not really concerned about moving God. Their faith is more in their own ability than it is in their supernatural ability of faith to move things by prayer. And they despise Pentecostalism and this new fad of church culture is embarrassed by Pentecost because when you come into some Pentecostal services, you have to lose control of yourself. You have to get rid of your own mindsets and when God moves, he messes things up and he gets involved in the apple cart and stirs it up and things begin to happen and if you're not careful, you'll be embarrassed by the move of God because you don't have enough spirit inside of you to detect that God's moving among the church. People don't want to be preached at. They want a good motivational speaker. Polished. Glamorous, ever hair in place. Young, they don't want old men. You laugh at that, they don't want old people. They're saying the average age now that people are looking for as pastors, 34 years and younger. If you're over 34 years, you're just about gonna have a hard time finding a church. They don't want them overweight because the overweight preacher might bring an embarrassment to the people they bring in. We laugh, but this is where our culture's at. This is where our churches is at. We're more focused upon moving people by our performance than God moving through the anointing. Their faith is more in their own ability than it is their supernatural ability to let God move. There's no place for the weak, the flawed, or the less talented, regardless if they got a calling or not, because they may cramp the style or the image of the church. They may hurt performance if they're in a, in a leadership level or in a, a level to where they're noticed, and if they got a flaw, well, they, they just can't fit in our ministry. Come on, somebody. The modern day church has lost touch to the human heart and it places it on the outward image. Their focus is on the image of ministry more than it is the heart of the person themselves. God help us. Now hang on. To some it really doesn't matter how they step on someone or hurt someone or crush someone. 
because they justify it by saying, I got a job to do. I got an image to keep. I got I to keep, keep everything holy. Quote, holy. What they're really saying is that their determinant excellence is holiness. Their ministry is now a job to where they have to deliver a performance instead of a calling that takes the weak, pulls them into leadership to a certain degree. I'm not talking about sinful people. Come on, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about pulling in the prostitute and the homosexual. I'm not saying that. No, 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 don't put words in my mouth. I'm talking about pulling in the flawed and then help develop their callings and their giftedness. Amen? I had to grow in my calling. And the only way I done it is somebody give me a chance. Why is it that as a whole, the modern day church says Jesus is Lord? And they have an appearance that operate in the messianic stream of the early church. Why is it that more churches are getting community-minded and they have an image or an appearance that they are, they are in the stream of evangelism and mission like the early church? But yet conviction is rarely felt. Divine interruption is almost non-existing. Why is it that lives are not changed And the one thing the modern church always likes is showing forth the glory of God because you can mimic with your words saying Jesus is Lord. You can mimic missional by performances, but there's one thing you cannot mimic is the glory of Almighty God. And it's missing in the churches of America. We have not learned how to consummate. The church is guilty of giving the, the culture what they want. They say, you come in and we won't rock the boat. We won't be offensive. We won't preach on certain things and we won't allow our members to, come on somebody. And when we say we're gonna become more community minded, what does that mean to me? I don't know exactly the face of it yet but I'm not going to become a volunteer worker for the city of Popper Bluff. I'm not going to pick up trash, build a building. I'm not going to help park cars at an event or nothing else unless I'm able to rub shoulders with people, love on people, serve people, and present the gospel to them. I don't have time to be just doing stuff, to be doing stuff. It's not about image. I could care less what they think about me. It's whether or not I'm doing what Jesus done when he was missional, and that is about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you start doing that, they won't want you anymore. God, come on, somebody. Ooh, I felt that go over like a lead balloon. The modern-day church, the well-polished, well-groomed, well-organized Yes, it's lost its art of manifesting the true presence of God. Anointing has given away to charisma. Instead of the Holy Spirit, man with his human abilities now can sway and move people by their charismatic personalities and their creative talent. If you don't believe me, go to Branson. Man, I was in a show over there, country music show, Man, he had people crying, them old ladies. <laughs> Man, he was good. And then he played those some upbeat songs, and before you know it, man, some of them old men. They were getting with it. 
There is talents of men that can move and sway people. Can I have an amen? They can move people, but the real question is, can they move God? They have a performance, but we lack in presence in America. We now have a motivational speakers instead of preachers. We now have performers instead of worship directors. The early church grew with preachers who had no education. Some of them didn't even have the ability to read or write, but they were called to preach. Their sermons came from what they had learned, what they experienced, and what they seen, and what the Holy Spirit would give to them. And though they were not eloquent in speech, though they were not fluent to where they could express themselves with excellence, they couldn't create an outline, they couldn't read a text, they didn't stay on course, yet there's one thing that they had. They had the power of the Holy Ghost anointing, and guess what happened? Signs and follow, signs and miracles followed them, and souls were added to the church daily. Am I saying to remain ignorant? No. Am I saying education can be an enhancement? Yes. We need to strive. We need to, but I'm telling you, you can't depend on that. You have to have a heart of God. The Bible says not many wise men after the flesh. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the base things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. Matter of fact, you know what Paul said? I don't come with you enticing words of man's wisdom. But I come to you, I don't come to you with eloquent of speech. He said, I come to you, not with all of that, but I come to you under the demonstration of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? Folks, we gotta, do you understand my heart here today? It's a warning. You do not have to be a superstar or a showboater or a glamour girl or a rhinestone cowboy to have a place to minister at the palace of praise. We demand holiness for our leaders, but we don't demand perfection. You know why? Because you can be holy without being perfect. Amen? There's a difference between being holy and being perfect. If one waits until they're perfect in order to be able to do ministry, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. Jesus said, don't call me good. There's only one good, and that's God. If perfection means holiness, then Paul was not holy because Paul himself admitted in Philippians 3 and 12, not as though I've already attained, neither were I already perfect. But I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehending Christ. He said, I strive for it. Yes, we want you to mature. We do want demand. Uh, we do want you to mature, but we do not demand excellence. We strive for excellence. We desire excellence. We work at excellence. But there is flaws in all of us. I didn't say there was sin in all of us. I said there's flaws in all of us. There's elements in all of us where we're excellent. We got our act together in certain areas. I can go out in this congregation and say, man, you're excellent in this, you're excellent in that. I wish I could speak like you. I wish I could design like you. I wish I could do this like you. But there are other elements I say, I'm glad I'm not like you in that area. Because there are some areas we're not excellent in. Come on. The cross clarifies that human weakness is of a divine necessity because it drives us to, our, to place our dependency upon God and not in our own abilities. In our weaknesses, he's made strong. Holiness is a thing of the heart. It's not a, a performance of the flesh. Holiness is a heart issue, not about being polished. It's not about image. It's not about fame. It's not about popularity. It's not about being the in crowd. Come on, somebody. You don't have to market yourself to get involved here 
because we truly recognize the anointing and there's a place for your anointing. Though flawed, you can have favor of God. Paul even had thorns in his flesh he couldn't get rid of. Though cracked, yet you're still usable. You know why? Because God used crack pots. Amen? I got a bow at the house that's got a crack in it. It's one of my favorite bows. You know why it's my favorite? Because it's big. It holds more cereal. I'll get that bow out. It's stained. It's been around forever. Well, I don't have it no more. I don't know. My wife broke it. But at the very top of it, if you put too much milk in it, it leaked. Though it leaked, it was usable. Though it leaked, it was better than the small bows. <laughs> Baby, it would hold super sugar crisp real good. And there's some of you cracked. You got flaws. You're not perfect. Join the line, it forms to the right. Can I have an amen? Peter was a mess. Timothy was despised because of his youth. Moses, he had a speech problem. Paul had an eye problem, come on. Barnabas really had a problem with Paul. Paul had a problem with Barnabas because there was a nephew of Barnabas that was a crackpot by the name of that's right, John Mark. There is all of us here today that we sit in a big place like this and we say things like, oh, I wish I could be like so-and-so. No, you don't. Because in every single one of us is a war of our members. Every single one of us has got things we fight. There's no temptation taking the man, but taking the man that is... There's no temptation that a man faces that's not common to man. You don't face anything I don't face. I don't face anything you don't face. Though we gather here together, I want you to understand that your life has meaning, that your life has purpose. And many of you are sitting back on the pew and you're saying, let, let the professionals take care of it. There is no professionals at the Palace of Praise. We got to engage this body into the harvest. I'm not saying don't strive for excellence. I'm not saying don't enhance your education. I'm not saying that the internet's a bad thing. Anything we can do to enhance something, we need to take advantage of it, but we can't allow that to become the thing that we put our stock and lock and barrel in, that it's what's going to move and sway people to repentance. Come on, somebody. I don't mind the lights that we have. Matter of fact, we're, we're in transition. We don't even know what we're going to do up there yet. May not even have lights. I'm not even against the smog thing for the cameras so that when, you were on, when we're online, that smog lightens the colors and it makes our stage look better. I'm not even against that. But I want to tell you, none of that stuff whatsoever affects God moving if he wants to move. And that is not what we put our stock in to move the people. 
It's an enhancement. We got to guard ourselves. The spirit of this age is sucking people in with vain philosophies. People don't want to be spiritual because to be spiritual, you have to sell out. You have to deny flesh. You have to take up a cross. You have to follow Jesus. You have to be one. You have to be committed when you don't want to be committed. It's easy to go find a place where they don't demand any commitment. There's churches, folks, listen to me, that have church one day a week for an hour. They call it a church. And there's absolutely, when you look on their websites and stuff, absolutely no kinds of ministries outside of that whatsoever for people to, to get involved in, other than maybe a life group or something. And some of those churches are running three and 4,000 people. I'm not after the crowd. I'm after conversions. Give me conversions. I'm after people to have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus is gonna be the Lord of this church. We're gonna have a messianic church. Can I have an amen to that? Can I have a hand clap for that? Jesus is Lord. This church is gonna be a Pentecostal church. This church is gonna be a missional church. We are gonna go out. But when we go out, we're going out on, with a purpose. We're not just going out to go out. We're gonna be unified in our purpose. We're gonna present it. We're gonna package it. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna we'll do everything we can to get people educated in what the church stands for. We're gonna be a church that is gonna be meeting together with having Conania one with another. I'm gonna make a statement. This is where you won't clap. We're not gonna worry about the length of the church services. We're gonna have church. Everything that is scripture, the culture's running the church away from it. Forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much more when you see that day approaching. The, come of the, the church is gathering less and less and less and less. And Jesus says, hey, if in the last days you better gather more and more and more. And the culture and its relevance is demanding the church to do this because this is what's relevant. This is what's going to keep us. If you try to put any more on us, we're going to leave you. Jesus faced that himself and he didn't care. He fed the multitudes. He cared for the multitudes. And in one day, 5,000 people left him just like that. His church went from 5,000 to nothing overnight. But he didn't cater to their demands. When he quit performing miracles, the multitude left him. But he didn't start the miracles up. Oh, if I don't start the miracles up, they won't come back. He did not let the culture set the tone of the church. He said the church will set the tone of the culture. Do you still love me this morning? It's in my heart, man, and I don't know why, but there's a sense of warning. When you go out, don't market the church as much. It's okay to do that, but don't market the church more, more and much, as much as you do marketing Jesus. 
have enough courage to build a relationship with somebody, rub shoulders with them for a week or two, three weeks, month, five months, whatever it takes, and then be able to say, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus loves you? Have you ever read your Bible? Do you know what it says about Jesus Christ? Hello? We got to become missional. But missional means to have the basic theology. Missional always also means don't go unless you're committed to pray. If you ain't going to pray about it, don't go. Because you're going in your raw talent. Number two, be committed to love. Don't go if you don't love them because they're going to know whether you love them or not because they know genuine love. Number three, go because it's commissional. And fourth, take the glory of God with you. Let God use you. God's about to touch us with signs and wonders and miracles. Oh, because we're going to consummate ourselves before the Lord. And we're going to quit letting the devil beat us up. And we sit on a pew, condemned all the time. We like what we feel here. We like what we see here. But the problem of it is the devil comes by. He shows you every flaw, every crack. He shows you everything about you, your personality that's not good. He shows you every little old thing. Oh, my goodness. If you took your clothes off, he'd say, look at that mo." Look at that wrinkle. Oh, we cover ourselves up good, all that. But he begins to reveal the things that's underneath. He begins to point them out. He's the father of lies. He's a condemner of the brethren. And he lies. And he shows you every flaw, every imperfection. And says, you can't do it. You can't be nothing. And what you try to do is you try somehow to survive by coming to church and gleaning from, quote, quote, the upper elite. Let me say it again. There is no upper elite in the palace of praise. You ought to be happy about that. Come here, brother. I don't want to embarrass you. Come here. 30 years ago, he'd be run out on a rail. You know why? He's got shorts on. Why? Because it's all about image. The church is more worried about its image, what it looks like. But see, I happen to know this man loves God. Has nothing to do with his appearance. <laughs> 30 years ago, I'd been run out on a rail, but at the Palace of Praise. You don't have to dress like a New York lawyer to be able to come to the house of God. You don't have to have a suit and tie on. Do we want modesty? Yes. I'm just here to say to you, I love you. Quit letting the devil beat you up. Strive for excellence, but be more to strive for holiness. If you'll be holy in your heart, excellence will take care of itself. Would you stand, please? I'm in no way criticizing 
what other churches do because I can't judge everything that goes on in church because we don't know about it. But I do know. I even have friends that won't preach on certain topics because it says it's not popular or relevant in the culture and that he's not going to be able to win people like that. And I looked at him when I said, you can't win anybody without truth. The way we present that truth is important. We're to present it in love, to love one another. Some of you are, can't even minister to some of your family because you feel guilty about some of your own flaws. I ain't talking about sin. If you're living in sin, if you're practicing sin, you got to get it under the blood because it's a serious issue. We don't let people in leadership live in sin. Amen. Is that clear? We got a standard. But we don't wait till you become excellent and perfect before we put you in some kind of a ministry. Your ministry makes way for you to be perfected. It sharpens you. You get around people that help you, that correct you. That's what this thing's all about. Rubbing shoulders with one another. You shouldn't have said that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, don't dress like that. Come on, somebody. Am I meddling too much? I don't feel like necessarily having an altar call this morning other than this. For three weeks in a row, the Lord's laid sermons on my heart about dealing with people who feel inadequate and feel like they're beat up by the enemy and somebody has not responded in the first two because the Lord laid this on my heart and I still feel that same burden for an individual and I don't know who you are, but you've not come yet. And I know one thing, that if you feel that inadequacy, and it's holding you back, and you feel like that you're just a nobody, I want you to come up here because before you leave this altar, you're gonna feel like somebody, and you're gonna know who you are. Amen? Amen. Is there another? Is there another? There is. That same person's not coming. I feel the knot in my, in my chest. I know when the Lord deals with me on this issue. He's given you three sermons in a row and you've been here. Who are you? Don't be embarrassed. Just say, man, I'm dealing with some things. The enemy's wearing me out. I feel so inadequate. I don't have the education. I don't have what, blah, blah, blah. And you give a list a mile long. Look at this. This is wonderful. Now, you know what these people need? They need the commitment of prayer. They need your love, and they need you to introduce them to the glory of God. Now I want you to come up and start praying with them. Look, wrap your arms around these people. They're hurting. They're wounded. They need you. They need the body. They need the love of the church. They need to know that they're not castaways. Hallelujah. Living 
spirit of the living God. We want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every speak to us Spirit of the living God Spirit of the living God We only want to hear your voice We're hanging on every word Spirit of the living God Spirit of Changes what we see and what we see, and when you come in the room, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we see.
pray as long as they like and we're going to be with them. The Lord's ministry. We love you this morning. Go out and smile. Be a Christian. Carry the love of God. Be prayerful. Be commissional. Be consummated to the will of God. Share the gospel and reveal his glory to somebody. May the Lord bless you. God bless you this morning.